Thanks for joining us again for another episode of Life Words with David Ray. It's uh, 15 minutes of uh, question and answers, your questions and David's answers. Uh, it's great to welcome David back into the studios. Thanks for joining us, David. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, again, we've got three questions. You can submit your questions anytime you like uh, via our email, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au, and you can listen to previous episodes at the Hope website or through iTunes. Our first question, David, is uh, among the gifts of the Spirit are things called words of knowledge and words of wisdom. Well, can you explain these, David? Well, opinions differ on these. Um, some Christians see no distinction between the two at all. Um, they're the same thing. The word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. Paul's just using different words to describe the same thing. Others think that there is a difference. Uh, in some churches, for example, a word of knowledge is a special God-given insight into a life situation. So someone says to someone else uh, 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 something about their life or about perhaps a future direction they need to take, and it can be seen as a word of knowledge, whereas a word of wisdom is more like a gift of counselling, offering wise counsel to those in trouble. Other churches uh, see words of wisdom and knowledge simply uh, very much something like what some Christians would call prophecy. That it, 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 It's not prepared. It's just some sort of input that's not prepared at all. It, it's sort of like teaching. It's a um, sense of um, God saying to you, David, giving a, a picture or a yes. word to someone. Yes, it, 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 it can be like that. Um, as I say, some people distinguish knowledge and wisdom, other people don't. But yet, yet others uh, don't see it that way at all. They think, well, no, a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom is just another way that Paul is describing any sort of teaching or conversational input. Uh, if I preach a sermon, it could be a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom and so on. Um, so so it, it, it is hard to know. You see, the thing is with all these so-called gifts of the Spirit, spiritual gifts, um, they're not very well defined. Um, and and I, I, I just want to say... Um, don't worry too much about definitions. I used to. I used to sort of pour over these things and say, no, I wonder what this means. I wonder what that means. But in the end, I don't think it matters terribly much. I think what we've got to look at is that knowledge or wisdom, however we may precisely define them, are there to build up the church. It's more important, I think, to stick to the basic point that when Paul lists these gifts of the Spirit, use our God-given abilities to honour God and bless others. Trying to explore definitions, I think, is a worry. I, I was talking to one person many, many years ago who was trying to really agonise whether I personally had the gift of teaching or exhortation. And I'm thinking, what's the, what's the point? I, I mean, there, there must be some overlap. And who is to categorically, authoritatively define what teaching is as opposed to exhortation? Paul himself doesn't go into that detail. Who knows what the difference is? All I would say is I don't think it matters nearly as much as saying, use what knowledge you have, use what wisdom you have to honour God and to bless others. Now, now just in, in a... In a slightly peripheral sort of case here there would be some people who might be listening who would say well look we don't necessarily think these gifts are still in operation today anyway because of the coming of scripture well i i for one uh would have to respectfully disagree with that i believe all the gifts of the spirit uh that paul mentions uh, are still operative today as long as they honor god and build up the church but i would not be prepared to um uh um define too precisely uh, what those gifts are. I just think Paul offers 
uh, random samples, as it were, of all the possible ways in which God can equip us to uh, honour him and bless others within the church. And uh, I think the more we try to agonise over, oh dear, have I got the gift of a word of knowledge or I've got the gift of a word of wisdom, I'd say, oh, forget it. You know, what I think we ought to do is sit of saying, what's my gift, what's my gift, to say, God, how can I honour you within your people? How can I bless others within that community of people? And you, Lord, equip me to do so and leave all the definitions of spiritual gifts where they belong, I think, in a secondary position. Thanks, David. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A. If you've got a question for David, if you'd like to follow up, um, possibly uh, what David was just talking about, about words of uh, knowledge, if you like, or words of wisdom, you can email David, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. Our second question, David, is my church insists on me joining a small group as a condition of membership. Is uh, this asking too much of me, and is it being legalistic? Well, without knowing a bit more about that uh, situation, it's a little bit hard to answer. Um, small groups are good. Uh, I think that's that's something I could say. They're places of sharing, learning, authentic community. And, and, and most church leaders, including myself, would like church members to join a group. I, I would want to say that if you join a church that I'm pastoring, I'd say, dear, I'd love you to join a group. Small groups are very helpful and beneficial. And especially that's true in larger churches where relationships may be problematic because uh, of size. Yeah, I think from experience, I've found the most rewarding part of my Christian life being in a small group of say you know ten, eight to ten people exactly and if they're well led and generally well run they can be wonderful wonderful places um, so I would want to encourage people to be part of a small group but insistence may be a bit strong but here I have to sort of wonder just what church this person belongs to uh, they're talking about a condition of membership now in the Anglican church to which I belong the denomination to which I belong we don't have any sort of concept of formal membership um, but, but I would say that a church has a right to impose membership conditions if it has a certain view of membership so, so you see if, if a church um, a church cannot say, a church leader cannot say, you cannot come and, and be part of our church and um, enjoy the benefits of being in this church unless you join a small group. I think that is becoming very legalistic. Uh, but I think a church has got the right uh, to say, look, you can come to church, you can do this, you can do that. But look, if you want to be a member of this particular denomination of God's church, then we require you to maybe be baptised, be confirmed, be um, be be part of a small group, um, tithe, whatever. Now, you may argue that whether those things are, are necessarily um, ordained in Scripture, so on, but a church, a human church, as it were, has got the right to set up conditions of membership. I, yep. I don't think I have a problem with that. Um, so, so I, I, But I would have a problem if someone says, you can't be in any way part of our church unless you join a small group. I think that's um, uh, uh, pushing it far too far. Um, but it's not pushing it far too far to say, uh, look, um, as a, if, if you want to become a full member of our church, we do require to be part of a small group. And uh, the person says, is this legalistic? Um, a rule in itself, even this rule, is not necessarily legalism. Legalism or, or, or legalism is when the rules become the equal of Scripture or when the rules override relationships. That, that's the problem. Setting up a rule in a church is, is no 
it's not legalism. For example, if, if we require, as we do in our denomination, and many others do as well, that you have to sign a certain child protection form in order to be involved in ministry with children, well, well that's a rule, but you wouldn't call it legalism. Um, uh, so, so I wouldn't necessarily say this is legalistic. I would say, in general, membership of a small group should not be too onerous on anyone, and I'd encourage any member to join one. But if it's under human compulsion, then I think a good thing can become a bad thing. If you're going to a group because you're encouraged to do so and you feel it is a good thing, well and good. But if you're going because someone in authority has said you have to in order to have a, in order to be a member, a full member, I, I, I am a little bit concerned about that, even though I think I can understand uh, why that rule of membership has been set out. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're new to attending a church, David, you might find the whole concept of uh, going to a small group quite weird. But um, yeah. um, I think, yeah, I, I think, as we've both said, uh, um, the benefits of being, I guess, in a, in a smaller group where you can be more open, intimate, uh, and, and just get to know people on a better basis than just on a, a fleeting moment on a Sunday... Oh, yes. uh, it definitely will enrich your your spiritual journey. Oh, I th- I I I, th- I think it will. Um, and as I say, I, I think there's a fine line sometimes between giving people strong encouragement to be part of a group and telling them they must. Yeah, that's that to me is the problem. Um, and uh, as with this question, I, I I'm a little bit concerned about the insistence, but I'd still want to say to them, don't don't just take refuge in this uh, catch cry of legalism. It's not legalism, I think, to say we strongly urge you to join this group or if you want to be a full member of our church, yet you need to be in a group. I, I think that, that that is not necessarily legalism. Yep. Okay, David, our next question is, I've heard the phrase, love the sinner but hate the sin. I've also heard that this is not a biblical idea. What do you think? Well, the phrase doesn't occur in the Bible, but I think it does reflect some biblical thinking. Um God loves people who sin, but he hates the nature of the sin itself. Um, Jesus was stern against sin. He wasn't soft on it. Uh, Although, interestingly, he seemed to be most angry at the sins of the self-righteous. But Jesus also welcomed all who sinned. You see, Jesus didn't demand uh, change before he met them. He didn't say to Zacchaeus, uh, listen here, Zacchaeus, you clean up your act, then I'll have a meal with you. Uh, He said, let me have a meal with you, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus cleaned up his act as a result. Um, So, so... um, so, yes, there is a sense in which Jesus certainly loves the sinner, but, yes, hates the sin. But I think the problem with the phrase occurs because some people have felt utterly rejected by the Christian church and sincerely don't believe Christians love them. Well, it does sometimes seem that phrase is wrapped up with some level of hatred or oh, displeasure. Yes. I mean, um, here at Hope, we, we did an interview with Brian Houston, and one of the questions was on same-sex marriage, mm-hmm. and he clearly said what he felt that same-sex marriage is not ordained by God, uh, or homosexuality is a sin. But um, boy, th- some of the comments on YouTube in that that conversation wrapped up with that we we love the sinner but hate the sin. <laughs> there was not a lot of love going on with some of that stuff. Look, the problem there is, Andrew, is this. Um, when that phrase is used in the context of discussion of issues such as um, the practice of homosexuality, You see, there are many gays who are Christians who do not believe their sexuality should be seen as sinful. Um, So in other words, if I say to a a Christian who is uh, practicing in a gay sexual relationship that I love the sinner but hate the sin, they'd say, well, hang hang on, wait a minute, well, thank you for loving me, 
but but why are you hating doing something that I feel is perfectly appropriate? Now, now whether we agree with it's appropriate is, is, is quite secondary to this particular question. Um, but, you see, to, for me to say to a gay Christian that they are loved but their sexual conduct is not is to call what they see as essential to their identity as sinful. And that's where you get the response. Um, that that, that it, it's okay if, 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 if someone has gone off on an um, uh, alcohol-induced frenzy of violence and they wake up in a prison cell one morning and, and a Christian sees them and says, look, I love you very much, but I hate what you have done to other people. Well, they probably hate it as well. But hey, with, with, this, with this situation, with those Christians who feel that their gay sexuality is okay with God, for then me to say to them, oh, well, we love you, but we hate what you do. It, it, you can see that it creates a real issue uh, for for me and for them. Mm. Many Christians might argue that the practice of homosexuality is sinful. I, I'm not getting into that. But but you can see the problem. In essence, we say we love you, but we hate a very core part of who you are. And so I think this is the problem with the phrase. I I, I think the phrase is is biblically reasonable in that I think what we're trying to do is to say. We want to love you, but we want to say we have issues with your behaviour. And I think that's sort of okay, even though it makes people feel uncomfortable. I think when we talk about loving and hating, and even sin itself, that word sin, it mm. can be a real problem. I certainly believe in the reality of sin, certainly. Um, even being, But being labelled as a sinner can be a bit of a problem. All of sin, but the word does carry with it connotations of being especially wicked. So what we sometimes appear to be saying to people is, we love you very much, even though we think you're a very wicked person. Uh, and so I can understand from the recipient's point of view how they may feel very much rejected uh, by Christians who are really, I think, uh, quite sincerely trying to express something of the attitude of Jesus. So, look, look, I, I, I feel that we need to be very careful using that phrase. I, I actually think, in essence, there's probably nothing greatly wrong with it. But when we use those precise form of words, I think it can raise a lot of issues. Well, David, thanks very much. Again, uh, enlightening. Great to have uh, you joining us each week to discuss questions of life and faith. If you want to uh, ask David a question or send him a comment, uh, you can uh, email him, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. All our episodes are available at hope1032.com.au or by subscribing to our iTunes podcast. Till next week, wishing you all the best.